We are starting a new series today on the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to be in just a minute reading the first three verses of that, but to give us some context, we're going to go back to Acts 19 and begin there. So would you stand as I read our morning scripture this morning? Give attention to this, please. Acts 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger. Not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some in the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew... For about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And now jumping to Paul's words in Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is the word of God. Please be seated. I was in the store a while back uh, buying an uh, economy-sized bag of, uh, I think it was Kiggins store brand Captain Choco cereal, and I had a flashback to my childhood. I remembered my dad bringing home some uh, generic cereal at one point because it cost half as much as Count Chocula, and uh, I was embarrassed and disappointed 
I mean, who eats that stuff, right? I mean, nobody's even heard of Kiggins cereal. Count Chocula has all the cool ads on TV. This, this store brand doesn't even have any ads. Don't I deserve Cocoa Puffs? I, I want to be like all the other kids, right? I mean, I'm already uncool enough, Dad. Do you have to make it worse by giving me generic cereal and, you know, almond windmill cookies in my lunch instead of Oreos? And, and then that led to disagreement and conflict and, and complaining with my parents. Maybe some of you can relate. Well, as I've gotten older, uh, I can look back with a little different perspective on that as a parent because now I'm the one buying food for four hungry kids and I can appreciate my dad more. But I can also realize there are some ways that I still look at life like I did sometimes when I was a kid. Are you blessed? Scott Dan Miller is an author, a worship leader, a leadership consultant. Uh, he wrote a book about his family's adventure in trying to go one year without buying anything. They, they didn't absolutely need to survive. And he reflects on that experience and he says this, I've noticed a trend among Christians, myself included, our response to material prosperity is to call ourselves blessed. This new car is such a blessing. Finally closed on the home, feeling blessed. Just got back from a mission trip, realized how blessed we are in America. Hashtag blessed. We think we're blessed when we have a nice home and a car that doesn't break down. I'm, I'm blessed if I have someone to share my life with. I'm blessed if I have good money, uh, good health, and enough money to not have to worry about my finances. And on the surface, he says, it seems harmless. I mean, may, maybe there's even something good to it, right? I mean, shouldn't we give thanks to God for the good things that he pours out into our lives? Isn't, isn't that even the right thing to do? But he says, as I reflected on this, way we talk about blessings, I, I think there's some things that are problematic with it. First of all, it, it kind of tends to turn God into a sort of a magic genie in a lamp. When our kids were little, you know, we rewarded them with Tootsie Rolls for using the toilet in the bathroom instead of their diapers. And so you do what you're supposed to and you get a reward, right? So when we talk about material things as blessings, is that just sort of reinforcing the idea that it's kind of a reward for our good behavior? Like you did what you were supposed to, so you got a treat. And second, calling myself blessed because of material prosperity raises some questions for the tens of millions of Christians around the world who are desperately poor, who live on less than $10 a day, for example. Are, are they not blessed? Or are we telling them that if they had faith and if they worked hard enough, they could have the same material blessings that we have? What, what about Christian history? I mean, all the saints in the Bible and in the history of the church, people who lived in poverty and following Jesus meant a recipe for prison, torture, or death. What does it mean to be blessed? And how does God bless us? Well, we're starting a new series in Ephesians, as Bob mentioned, called Greater. This letter, especially this first chapter of this letter, gives us a picture of an amazing God. A God who is so much bigger, so much beyond our understanding, our ways of doing things, whose wisdom is so much higher. A God who makes plans for people who don't even exist yet. A God who 
is the source of all goodness and joy and, and who invites people to experience that same kind of life that he has in himself. A, a God who's not just greater than our understanding, but, but he's greater than any other God, any other good, any other power, any other thing that, that we desire or run after. So that's what we want to see as, as we go through this series. And as we start today, as Bob said, we're going to spend some time looking at kind of the background to this story as Paul launches this church in Ephesus. We'll start with just a couple of verses in Ephesians 1. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, again, just a little bit of brief background. Maybe some of us are already familiar with the history, but Saul was a devout Jew who was a part of the Jewish ruling council. He's on his way to go persecute Christians because they're blaspheming and they're heretics when all of a sudden he meets Jesus in a blinding flash of light. And he suddenly realizes that these followers of Jesus actually are the ones who are right and he's been wrong. And, and from Saul, the persecutor of Christians, he becomes Paul, the chief evangelist and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He wrote 13 of the New Testament letters. He plants churches and and Jesus commissions these followers who have witnessed him and, and his deeds and his resurrection to go out as his authoritative messengers, his apostles, his sent out ones, to tell people about who he is and what he's done. And, and so Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and he's writing to the saints in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a very important city in the Roman Empire. It's in modern-day Turkey, towards the, the western side of the country. It was on a major trade route. It actually had a, a dredged harbor that led out into the sea. Uh, it was a city of wealth and education and learning. It had a library that rivaled that of Alexandria in Egypt. So it was a place of uh, power and prominence and culture and learning. It was a, it was a major world city, we would say. And so when Paul shows up in Acts 19, you know, he's just another kind of traveling philosopher coming through with another story about, you know, an, another God and, and, you know, immortality and transformation and life, and you should know this guy. But what makes Paul stand out is the impact that his ministry has as the Holy Spirit starts to work through him and empower the, the preaching and the witness of the gospel. People are healed from sicknesses. Paul is driving out evil spirits. And, and some of these people become believers. And we skipped over a section because there's just so much there in Acts 19. You could go back and read it this week. Some of them had been involved in occult practices and magic arts. And, uh, and they become convicted of this. And they bring this huge pile of their magic scrolls and books and, and burn them. And it's worth like 50,000 silver pieces. I mean, this is... This is not just changing your religion or going to a different church or even changing your job because the worship of these gods was so much a part of the fabric of society. It, it was like saying, I'm divorcing myself from the culture around me. I don't want to be identified with what the culture of Ephesus is anymore. It would be a little bit like, you know, if a bunch of us decided we were going to go have a big bonfire and burn all our Colts jerseys and sports paraphernalia. I'm not saying you can't have Colts jerseys as a Christian, 
But that would be an offense, right? It would be saying, you know, I don't want to be identified with what most of the people in this community are about. And and part of the reason this is significant is because Ephesus was the site of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, this temple of Artemis. It was a huge building, 400 feet long, 200 feet wide, 128 columns in it. And inside was this statue to the fertility goddess. And and the worship of this fertility goddess included a, a lot of perversity, frankly. There were hundreds of male and female temple prostitutes. And, and that was part of the culture, and it was also part of the economy, because people would come, as, as the crowd was shouting out, from all over the world to worship this goddess, to spend money on lodging and food and souvenirs and sacrifices, and, and it's threatening their way of life, their economy, their, their civic identity, and, and all this talk of, you know, idols and occult practices and, and magic and You know, it sounds kind of foreign to us, but in a lot of ways, it really isn't. I mean, fundamentally, what they were trying to get at was a way of making life work. The idol was simply a representation of what I want out of life. And so there were gods for victory in business and finding me a wife and keeping me safe on my travel and a god of fertility and a god of rain and a god of the crops and and harvest coming in. And and so I would worship that god. I would make sacrifices and follow and obey that god in the hopes of getting the thing that I want to make life good for me. And so the, the rules of magic and idolatry were here's the formula that you follow to get life to work for you so that you get the outcome that you want. That's what the God is about. That's what the idol is about. And so worship, then, you may have heard, is actually from the Old English, worth-ship. It's assigning value to something. Worship is about saying This is what matters to me. This is the priority in my life. We worship whatever has the greatest value to us. And you offer up the right words to whatever the God is to get the right result and to get the outcome in your life. Now, that's that's crazy, right? That's long ago, far away. That's not us. Believe in yourself. Work hard. And you will achieve your dreams. It's kind of a formula to get life to work, right? I'm going to find that one special person who will make life worth living and and hear the steps that I'm going to take to, to make that happen. Offer a prayer, have enough faith, claim God's words, and he will give you whatever you ask. It's kind of a magic formula to get life to work, isn't it? Maybe we're not so different from these Ephesians. It's into that culture, into a culture a lot like ours, that that Paul comes and starts preaching about Jesus. And, And many of these Ephesians trust Christ, and he spends two years there teaching and helping build the church, and and then opposition to the gospel forces him to leave. And so now he's writing a letter back to these people to encourage them, to strengthen them in a hostile culture, to help point them, point their hearts to the God who is greater. Greater than the gods of their culture. Greater than the promises that the world is throwing in front of them. The God who actually 
blesses us in ways that no one and nothing else can. So let's look at this together. Paul writes in verse 1, he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. What does the word saint mean to you? What does it mean to most people? You know, saints, you know, an especially godly person in some churches, right? Someone who performs miracles, someone to be, you know, worshipped. Someone, it's like a super Christian, right? They're on a level above. They're, they're, they're like the really good followers of Jesus. The word here, hagios, in Greek, it, it means holy. It means different. It means other. A temple in the first century was hagios. It was holy because it was set apart to be distinct, to be other than the other buildings. It was something that was distinguished because it was special to God, because it belonged to him. And Paul applies that term here to God's people. We are different. We are distinct. And and he's not writing to some of the people in Ephesus. He's writing to all of them. He's writing to all of these followers of Jesus, saying, you are all God's holy ones. You are all God's set-apart people, not a subset of them. See, when you come to Christ, there's, there's a lot of dramatic things that happen in your life. But one of the most fundamental things is that spiritually you're, you're rescued from a life of darkness and death, and you're brought now into the kingdom of God's Son whom he loves. To be a Christian, in in the New Testament, the most common way it's expressed is to be in Christ. You know, we had baptisms a couple of weeks ago, and that's a picture of what the New Testament is talking about here, that, that I am identified with Christ, I'm united with him, I am in him, so that now, if I am in Christ, I am holy. I'm set apart, I belong to God, but now also God looks at me through the righteousness of his son. He does not look at the mess and the brokenness in me. He looks at the perfect obedience of Jesus and it's counted towards me. I am blessed because I am a saint, Paul is saying. What does it mean to be blessed? That I am a saint, I am set apart, I belong to God, and and he declares me loved and holy and sinless. See, when I was younger, I thought my life was going to be good when I had all the stuff that the people on TV said I should have. Because then I would be cool, and then I would be liked, and then I would have an identity based on what the other people thought of me, right? And the identity for for these people in Ephesus was being part of their city, their religion, their their work told them what they were worth. And, you know, I mean, everyone knows we have this temple to Artemis, right? That makes us important. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. I drive to church sometimes coming down uh, Westfield Boulevard. And as you uh, cross over 96th Street coming south, there's a little sign that says, welcome to Indianapolis, Mayor Joe Hogsett, home of Super Bowl 50. Like, Indianapolis matters. We hosted the Super Bowl, right? We're on the map. We've got something to be proud of, right? Indiana isn't flyover country. We, we matter, right? And, and that's why it's, you know, it's like 
exciting and it makes us feel good when important politicians come and fly in and they say, hey, I want to hear from you. Your voice matters. I care about what's important to you. Tell me what what you want me to do for you in Washington. It's always exciting, you know, on those weird occasions when our electoral votes in a presidential election actually matter, you know, because it's not a foregone conclusion. We actually count, right? Or we get our identity from recognition from other people. Where'd you go to school? You know, you want to have a school that people have heard of, right? So you, you don't have to explain, well, you know, this little place over here and nobody's ever heard of. We don't tell stories about, you know, when we met the butcher or the alterations lady. We tell stories about meeting that celebrity, right? Or that sports star that signed my ball cap. Why? Because their, their fame will rub off on me and I matter now because I have some connection to somebody who has an identity that, that we value. Paul is saying, look, you are blessed because you have an identity in Christ. That is the blessing. It isn't based, the good news is it isn't based on what I own or what I do or where I live or what I wear or what sports team I root for or whose concert I went to or whose you know, whatever, whose team I'm on, who I voted for, I am blessed because I have an identity that says I was bought by the blood of God's own Son. And that has stamped a value and a significance on me that nothing in this world can touch, that nothing can produce. And and, sometimes I struggle to believe it, right? Because I want a record that I can boast of. I want to have an identity that's about me. It's about my performance. It's about my achievement, my accomplishment, my academics, all of that. And the reality is that's not a blessing. That is a curse. It is a burden that Jesus wants to free us from. And then as we become people who are following Jesus, we start to look like what God has already declared us to be. Because to be holy is to be set apart. It's to be different. Because we belong to God, and now as we're following Jesus, we're starting to look more like Him. Our character is catching up with what God has said we already are. That's a blessing, that that we can actually become the people that God declares us to be. And, And you are a saint, not because of how well you are following Jesus. It doesn't go up and down based on... You know, well, this day did a pretty good job. You were a saint because you are in Christ. And that does not change based on how well you're following Jesus today or or how poorly you did yesterday. You were a saint because of what Jesus has done. That is a blessing. That is a freedom. That is a gift that nothing and no one else in this world can give you because every other source of identity is about your performance and your achievement and what other people think of you. And the second description that Paul says is, who are the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now that that kind of sounds like, boy, I, I hope I'm faithful enough. But what it literally means is the ones who believe in Jesus, the ones believing in Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, that means you have placed your trust in Christ. You have staked your life, your eternity That Jesus is who he says he is, and he has done what the Bible says he has done. 
And you lay hold of him by faith. And in the New Testament, faith is always an action. It, it has an object to it. it. It produces something in us. It doesn't mean that, that I'm perfect. It doesn't mean that I'm following Jesus without stumbling. But it means the direction of my life is headed towards Jesus and pursuing him. And that I'm believing in him as I do that. And when I mess up, I return to Christ and, and come to him by faith, that his grace covers that. R.C. Sproul says this, The issue of faith is not whether we believe in God. It's whether we believe in the God that we say we believe in. In other words, do you really trust the God that you say you believe in? And one of the ways that we can check that in our own lives is this week, maybe pay attention to the times when you're tempted to doubt God, to, to question his goodness. The, what, do you, what is it that you're trusting instead? Because we're always worshiping something. We're looking for something to give us identity, to give us significance, to give us peace, to give us hope. What is it that you're running to? What is it that's filling that for you? You are blessed to belong to Christ. Trust in him. You know, it was common in uh, letters in the ancient world to open with uh, a greeting, uh, kind of a well wishes, but Paul's greeting here is not common. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Those two things are going to occur over and over again in this first chapter of Ephesians. So, so watch for them as we go through this section. Grace. It's the way that God relates to us out of his undeserved kindness. It is God giving us what we do not deserve. There's nothing that we do to earn or merit God's kindness to us. And Paul wants us to understand we are blessed because we live in God's grace, in his undeserved goodness. Because again, you know, when I was a kid, I... I, I Sometimes as an adult, you know, we struggle with all these messages that we get, like, you will be blessed, you need, you deserve Count Chocula, that five-speed Schwinn Stingray, you know, with the, with the banana seed and the, and the gear shifter in the middle. Those things were so awesome, man. An Atari game system, Right? I'll, I'll be blessed when I have that job, when I have that house, when I have that person in my life, and, and I deserve it. I need it, and God ought to give it to me. And we have to let the gospel attack that sense of entitlement. I didn't deserve to be born. I, I didn't deserve to live in a country that, that has a tremendous amount of peace and freedom and prosperity. I didn't deserve to have parents who loved me and nurtured me and cared for and clothed me and encouraged me. I, I didn't deserve an education. You, I, none of us deserve the measure of health that we have, the years that we've lived on this life, the financial resources that we have. What did I do to deserve any of that, to earn it? All of it is grace. And, and it's meant to be a reminder that every day we should give thanks to God that he doesn't give us what we deserve and that everything we do have is undeserved goodness. We're blessed because we come to Christ hungry and, and he feeds us. We come to Christ broken and he heals us. And we come to Christ spiritually dead and he makes us alive. We're, we're blessed because 
We come to Christ needy and he enriches us. And I mean, think about the kinds of things Jesus says, blessed are you when you mourn, for you'll be comforted. I mean, who, who's, we're blessed when we mourn? Some of you may know my mom has had some health challenges lately and uh, things have been going up and down with her and uh, things recently have really gone down. Um, today's her 82nd birthday, we've put her on hospice and she's probably not going to live very long. How, how is that a blessing? What, who, can, who could turn that into a blessing? Only a God who could say, I am stronger than death. And I have gone through it to the other side to bring you into eternal life. And I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you. And I will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. N nothing that you're going to achieve or accomplish or earn or own or pursue in this life is going to do that. But we have a God who is greater. Who is greater than death. Greater than poverty. Greater than sickness. Greater than persecution. Greater than all the troubles and trials that we experience in this life. And he's able to turn it into blessing. It's only Christ who can meet those needs and give us grace. And when we realize that it's all grace, it changes us. It, it starts to make us people of grace. It changes the way that we look at and, and treat others, in fact. Scott Sauls is a pastor in Tennessee. He worked with Tim Keller at Redeemer Presbyterian in Manhattan for several years. And in his uh, book, Befriend, he writes a little bit about uh, Pastor Keller and his relationship. And he said, uh, never once... Did I see Tim tear down another person to their face on the internet or through gossip? Instead, he, he just seemed to assume the good of other people. He talked about being forgiven and, and affirmed by Jesus, how it frees us for this. To catch people doing good instead of looking for things to criticize and be offended by. Tim would respond with restraint and self-reflection instead of negativity and criticism even when someone had done him wrong. He did it because that's what grace does. Grace reminds us that in Jesus, we are shielded from the worst about us. And, and because Jesus shields us, then, then we try, we work to protect others' reputations. We work to build others up. We, we work to protect their good names instead of calling names. We work to shut down gossip instead of feeding it. We work to restore broken relationships instead of nursing grudges. That's, that's what grace does when we understand that it's all undeserved. And that's the way God is to us. God saves us by grace to make us people of grace. And to make us people of peace. You know, when we think about uh, peace, at least I tend to often think of, you know, like political things and, you know, world powers. And, well, you know, we're at peace because we're not actively shooting one another, right? Sort of like, uh, you know, the uncomfortable detente my brother and I would have in the back of our family van on long car trips. Uh, you know, back in those days, it was, you know, like one big bench seat. And so one of us would be on one window and one on the other. And, and before long, somebody's hand would start creeping over into the demilitarized zone in the middle. His hand went over the line. It's on my side. No, it's not. He hit me. You started it. I did not. It's your fault. If you boys don't shut up right now. I'm going to give you something to cry about. And so, you know, we'd retreat to our neutral corners, not because we were at peace with one another, but, you know, we didn't want to get the wrath of dad. 
But, you know, we were, you know, glancing at each other and nudging and elbowing until, the, you know, the next time it broke out. That, that's not peace like the Bible pictures it. Peace means we are at peace with one another. The issues have been settled. We are reconciled. There's nothing unresolved. That, that uh, we're able then to live with calm and confidence and, and free from anxiety. Because when we're saved, most importantly, our sins are transferred onto Christ and he takes it all. His righteousness, his death on the cross are credited to us. So if you were in Christ, God's hostility, God's alienation is, is done. He, Jesus has made peace through his blood shed on the cross. And we now live in that peace. I'm blessed because I have God's peace. Because see, all the other idols, all the other gods, all the things that we run after can never give us peace because we always have to be wondering, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Have I achieved enough? There's always one more rung on the ladder. There's always one more thing to chase after. It's never enough, and so I never have peace. There's always somebody that I'm at cross purposes with, and it just sits in there, and it festers. Look at how these Ephesians become violently angry when their God, when, when their idol is threatened. It's just like blind rage, right? Last week, Joey asked a couple of really good questions. What is it that makes you angry? Man, that's a humbling question. It's a good question because... It's a clue to identifying the gods that we serve and the idols that we really value because whatever it is I get angry about is what I am valuing and what I'm protecting. You can't talk to me that way. I don't have to stand for that. You can't treat me like this. I'm not going to let him get away with it. I mean, look, look at, good heavens, look at the news, right? People are, are outraged because our, our culture, our heritage is being threatened and we're going to lose our position, we're going to lose our power, our tribe, our race is under attack and, and it generates just this poisoned well of anger and hatred and violence and, and then other people, because they're being attacked, may respond with anger and hatred and violence and it just, it cycles around. I mean, look at the political environment we live in. It's just, it's scorched earth politics all the time, right? Those guys are going to destroy everything good, and we have to fight them to the death. It's a war. How do we find peace? So you need a security that doesn't come from possession or position or power or politics. I am secure in Christ. And nothing can take that from me. Paul, in another letter, is able to write from a prison cell, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. Whether in plenty or hungry, I have peace. Because Jesus is the blessing. Jesus is my peace. And sometimes we struggle with that because... I mean, I look, I look at the ways that I've blown it, I've failed, and, and I wonder, can God, does God really forgive me for this? Isn't God disappointed with me somehow? No. 
No, he's not because he's not disappointed with his son. God loves you like he loves his son if you are in Christ. Jesus said, I have paid it all. And now it is well with my soul. However I have blown it. However many times I have stumbled and fallen. Some of us are going through pain and confusion and difficulty. You're worried about the future. There's uncertainty. There's financial pressures. And you're hurt. You're afraid. Could, could you take that thing right now that is worrying you, that is frightening you, that is even angering you, that is disappointing you, and bring it to Christ, trusting that he is able to give you peace in the middle of it? Because he blesses us with peace in a way that nothing else can. Because my circumstances may not change. Does that mean I can never have peace? No. In our circumstances, we trust that God knows what he's doing because he is greater and he is good and he is worthy of our trust. And, and he will never leave us or forsake us. And, and maybe that thing will not be fixed in this life, but one day it will be. You and I live in a world that is filled with idolatry and immorality and lies about what you deserve and what we can have and, and the good life will mean getting everything my heart desires and I can't have peace until I do. That is a lie. It is deceitful. It is destructive. It is deadly. Look at how Paul brings all this together in, in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with some spiritual blessings, with the ones you've earned, with the ones he thinks you deserve. No, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God is not holding out on you. There, there is no blessing in Christ that he is withholding. Some people have better health. Some people have a, a more pleasant relationship. They have a job that they enjoy. They have, they have more money. They, they have better health. They have what looks like an easier life. It does not mean they are more blessed. I have no idea why I was born where I was, why God has given me the gifts and abilities and opportunities and the relationships that he has. It's not because of my prayers. It's not because of my faith. It's not because of my earning it. And I'm not missing out on something because I blew it at some point. I may be prosperous and successful materially. And if that happens, Jesus is not going to say, boy, you were blessed. I think what he will say is, how will you use it? And will you bless others with it? Because the way for us to find blessing in, in this Ephesus that we live in is to recognize that Jesus is greater. He is the greatest good we're ever going to get. He is the blessing. He is our peace. He is the grace of God. Can I trust? Can I trust that he is good and he will do good? And if you've never come to a point of trusting your life to him in that way, I pray that today would be the day that you would do that and that you would say, Jesus, I want you. I will follow you and I trust you. Nothing else will make us holy because if there's some measurement that we're trying to live up to, some standard, it's either going to make us proud or it's going to make us fearful. 
I'm doing better than someone else, so I'm in good shape, and boy, it's a shame you're not as good as I am. And if I think I'm not doing as good, boy, I'm a miserable failure, and why can't I be more like them? Nothing else is going to give us grace, because anything else we're pursuing, it becomes demanding and enslaving, and it's never enough, and so we never have peace. God is the only one who blesses us, and he is the blessing. It's not your house, it's not your job, it's not your standard of living. It is knowing this, that you know a God who gives hope to the hopeless, who gives life to the dead, who gives healing to the broken, who gives forgiveness to the sinners, that he blesses us with every spiritual blessing that he has to give us in Christ. Jesus is the blessing. He is the treasure. And for all of those blessings and 10,000 more, may our response be, thank you, God. I worship you. I trust you. Use me. I will follow you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace to undeserving people like us. Father, help us. We live in a world that, that has so many gods, so many idols, so many messages, so many lies and deceptions. God, help us to believe that you are the blessing, that Jesus is the best that you have to give to us. And if you pour out more on top of that, it's, it's again, just more that we haven't deserved. God, help us to be people who know your blessing and then pour it out into other people because we have tasted and seen that you are good. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.